I want to share with you, um, as uh, we're getting ready to share the scripture, Luke's going to be coming forward in just a minute to read to you from Acts 2. And as he does that, I want to set the context for you. All this month, we've been focused on the season of Pentecost. And we have been thinking about what that day meant for the church then and what it means for us now. And today, we are seeing the end of the Acts 2. In other words, what was the end result? What did the church become because of Pentecost? And we find here in this gathering story that the followers of Jesus are now living together in a new and peculiar way that is a little bit different than they ever did before because of Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to what they were doing, and we'll reflect in a few minutes on what it might mean for us. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Luke. I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Allow the words of your holy scripture to become the truth of our lives, Lord. That will probably mean there's some work that needs to be done, some change within us, some openness within us, some willingness to allow your spirit to take control over the things we've wanted to hold on to so tight. So we pray that we will be willing, available, and ready to be that which you will make of us. We pray this. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We just shared in the Apostles' Creed, and I remember I learned that back when I was in the eighth grade in confirmation class. Uh, that was five weeks in, in uh, Pastor uh, uh, Bishop's office. Dalton Bishop was our home pastor. And for five weeks on a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, we were in his office to learn everything we needed to know about being the church. The only thing I remember is that it was at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning <laughs> and the Apostles' Creed. That's where I learned it. But before that, as I look back on it now, I realized that I was being taught what the church was. You see, I knew Bill and Sue and Norm and Jack and Jamie from before I have memory. They were part of that community of a church. They were my, fear, my, my peers, my friends. I remember spending time with them that I didn't understand was teaching me about the faith in church. I remember, really remember in the second grade, for a reason that I cannot still understand why, I punched Jack in the stomach. 
don't know why I did it. I, I, I got in trouble, I can tell you that. But I can also tell you, to this day, I still remember the look of shock and pain on Jack's face. And from that moment on, I've never hit another human being outside of an athletic event because I never wanted to see that look again. I remember sitting in children's choir with Bill Papinaw. God knows why I was never in a children's choir because not only did I not know how to sing, Bill and I just kept getting in trouble because we were goofing off all the time. I remember talking literally for hours at a time on the phone with Jamie, my friend, at a time in my life when I thought there would never be a girl ever who would be willing to talk with me. And I remember Sue encouraging me to take leadership in our youth group when I had absolutely no confidence in myself. They were the friends of my youth. And though I did not fully understand it back then, they were also my church. They and the adults of that congregation in Montrose, like the Yankees, the LeMays, the Schallers, and Phyllis, and Joanne, and Ron, and others, who were more like aunts and uncles to me, who watched out for me, both when I was in the church and also sometimes when I was just out in the community and they saw me. And when I think of my first 18 years in the church, I do not think of only a few worship services that stick in my mind. There were a few. And there were a few programs like Vacation Bible School and such. But what really stuck in my mind were the relationships with people who in their own way believed that Jesus mattered, and the best way to share Jesus was by being a friend, a mentor. I believe in their own way, whether they knew it or not, they were reflecting what the church was originally called to do. See, all this month we've been talking about Pentecost, and sometimes we've been talking about things that seem so bizarre to us, like when the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people and transforms them radically. It just it seems so bizarre in the way it's even talked about in Scripture with fire and wind and so on, and how they were changed to have different languages, which we now understand simply means they were given the ability to speak to anyone about Jesus. But here in this passage, I think it begins to make some sense to me. These were followers of Jesus who began to understand that their calling was not simply to be together to talk about the best days when Jesus was with them. Rather, they found a common strength that was beyond themselves to realize they had a mission bigger than just being here for each other. They were called to reach out to the world and touch people's lives one person at a time and to show by example what they knew about Jesus. He was Messiah, Savior, Lord. However you talked about him, Jesus is the one who showed us how we understand who God is and how we live our lives here on this earth in the way in which our Creator always intended. The best definition of holy community, as they knew it, was first to love Jesus and then to reach out to love each other in the same way, to understand that God loved all of them. And so they got together often. They went to worship together. And what that means for me is not just the fact that they showed up at worship, but that they actually got together in worship. 
that they understood worship was not a solo act. It wasn't just being there for you. It was being there as a part of a larger community. They worshiped together. They needed to be with each other in worship. And as they gathered together, they would also meet in each other's homes. They would gather together after worship, before worship, and during the week, hanging out, breaking bread, sharing meals and conversations. They shared their lives and their friendships, their talents, and their resources. There's a part of this passage which bothers people sometimes when they read it. They hear the church say, and they shared all that they sold all that they had and shared as any had need. And people think that's such a radical definition of the church. Is it really? Don't you do that with your closest friends? I mean the people who you'd be willing to have walk in the back door and say hi? You see, the closest people in our life, if they ask me for something, it's not why, it's how. It's when. You, you share with the people that are vital in your life, and that's how they stood each, understood each other in the church. So it wasn't bizarre for them to think of a group of people who would be so committed to Jesus Christ and loving each other that if anyone came in and said they had need, they would do what was necessary to meet the need, not form a committee to talk about it. So they gathered often to do these kinds of things. They came together to share their lives, their hopes, their dreams, and I'm going to guess they talked about the kinds of things people have always talked about when they got together. They talked about their family, how the kids were doing. They talked about their work or the lack of work. They talked about their health. They talked about the past. They thought, talked about the future. And they talked about how this Holy Spirit was binding them together in ways that were unmistakable, even if they were invisible. They were close. But what was amazing, I think the most amazing thing about this description of the church is not that they were close, but that they were close and remained open. You know, you know what our tendency is. We get together with the people we are the closest with in our, in our friendship group. And you know who they are. You know who your group is. And you like your group. You like hanging out with your group. It's natural. It's important that we have that. But there is a tendency, once we have our group, to close it off. We like it to be our closest friends. We like to be in our group. Because we have shared history. We have common stories. You know mine. I know yours. We have hidden agendas and jokes. And, and we share things with each other. And if someone else comes in, then we've got to start all over again. It's just hard. We just want to stay with our group. Truth is, oftentimes that describes the church, too. The church has often become an entity of people who really, really like each other. So much so, they get a little resistant about folks who come in and begin to disrupt what they like. That's why there are a lot of churches I've worked with in the past who describe themselves as friendly, and of course they are, to the people they know and like. I mean, you come time to the greeting time, and everybody runs to the people they know, and they greet each other, and it's all high energy, and it's wonderful. But the folks we don't know don't get greeted as well. That's not the church of Acts. 
Why? How do I know? Because they went from 120 to 3,000 in one day, and you don't do that by being closed off. You do that by caring about people as God cares about them. About seeing people whom you don't know, not seeing strangers, but seeing brothers and sisters that God created that is a gift for you to get to know and learn from and share your life and faith with. It's the most amazing thing about this community that became so close to each other is that they became so radically open to everyone else. And that's why others came. They came because they were welcome. They came because they were lonely. They came because they had needs too, and there wasn't anybody else in the world that was going to help them with their needs, that was going to treat them as equals and as people worthy of being loved and respected. So they came to people who would, the church. And the body of Christ discovered that it was always at its best when people find joy and meaning as they share their lives with all kinds of people. And the church has always been called to be that. We've sometimes struggled with that. The church has always been called by God to be the most radically hospitable community in, entity in the entire community. It hasn't always been. There are other places that sometimes seem to do it much easier and better. For me, one of the places the church needs to learn how to do that kind of lifestyle is to go down to the Clarkston Tap on Friday and Saturday night. That is a happening place. People are glad to be there. They bring their friends, they invite their friends, and tables talk to other tables. Have you been? I've seen pictures. No, I haven't seen pictures. I've sat in the middle and watched all these people around me really love being there and being with each other. And every time I sit there, I go, this is how worship ought to be. This is what the church is called to be. No, I'm not asking for a tap room down the hallway. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, and if you've got the love of Jesus, you don't have any craft beer that can match it. Openness, friendliness, caring, surrendering to help others as they have need. That's what Jesus always did, which is why that's what they thought they should do. They lived as Jesus did. That's the gift of the church that we have in this picture. So when they gathered together, they saw someone they didn't know. They said, hey, why don't you sit with me? Hey, on Tuesday, let's go get a drink with each other. Let's go take a walk. Let's play. Let's worship. Let's focus on what we know about Jesus. And let me hear from you about what you know about Jesus. Let's help each other raise each other's kids. Because God knows we need the help. And that doesn't mean just parents to parents. That means those of you who are grandparents. Do you understand how many young families in this community long for someone to be a surrogate grandparent? When you see young people who come around you at Kroger or in the church, do you think, well, that's not my group? Or do you think, how can I care for them? We have uh, kids who live away. 
you know, in North Carolina and Illinois. And, and they're settled now, and they have friends. I don't mean to suggest that they don't, but still sometimes friends are not family. So that's why Laura got the call a couple of months ago. Hey, Mom, can you come down and watch the kids next, on this coming up weekend? We live in Michigan. <laughs> and we went. <laughs> and we were glad to do it. But I just thought of that moment a lot of times and wondered how many people in this community would just love to make friends in a body of Christ where they could say, could you come watch the kids? And we would go, oh, I feel like I'm being used. No, we'd go, I'd be glad to. This is the radical church we're reading about in Acts 2. It's what we're called to be. It's where we're called to live. And along the way, we share our stories of Jesus, what we know of Jesus. We don't have it all right. We don't know everything there is. So I'm glad to listen to your story, if you'll listen to mine. And together we'll learn and grow. That's the church. That's how much we are called to be here with each other and for each other. The song we started this worship service off with, And Are We Yet Alive, is one of my favorite songs. Why? We sing it every year at annual conference as the opening worship. Why? Because in 1749, Charles Wesley wrote that song to be sung at the annual gathering of Methodists. Why? Because, quite frankly, when we gather together, that's the church. Next week, I'm going to my church where my membership actually lies. And next, and, and on the, uh, get it right, Thursday morning, we're going to have a worship service and we're going to remember those who are no longer alive. We've lost them over this past year. So every year I get to annual conference and I get to sing, and are we yet alive? I get to say yes, and I do so with joy. But not as much joy as I get to know, yes, Megan's still alive, and Laura's still alive, and my friends are still alive, and the people I was ordained with are still alive, and the people who mentored me are still there. Thanks be to God, we're alive. We come together to just give God thanks for that. And we've had another year to serve Jesus. That's the spirit of us gathering every Sunday in worship. Every Sunday morning in worship, there is a sense deep within me that I just look out and I thank God that you're here because it means you're alive and can still show up. Because I've had too many Sundays where that wasn't true for some. Amen? Do you know when those days are going to be? You do not. So does it matter that we get to see each other today and next Sunday and during the week? And Yes, it does. How long are we supposed to live this way? How long is a church supposed to act this way? For as long as we exist every day, day by day. There's a quote ascribed to John Wesley often that now scholars say he's probably not the one who originated it. That's okay. It's still, I think, worthy of describing who we're called to be and how we're called to function day by day as the body of Christ. It's this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can as ever long as you can, day by day.
doing all the good we can in the name of Jesus, who defines for us what good is. On this Memorial Day weekend, we remember as a nation those who sacrificed all for us. And we give thanks for them and remember them, honor them. And I invite you to join with us tomorrow in the parade and down to the cemetery if you have time to remember them. But if you don't have time to be able to do that, then just stop where you are tomorrow and give thanks for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. But today, in church, why don't we take the opportunity to give thanks to those who sacrificed that you and I could be here today, who opened the doors of the church to you, those mentors and friends of yours and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and Sunday school teachers and the like, friends who brought you into this church when you moved into this community. Remember those who nurtured you into the church even more for us to take the steps to commit our ministry to making sure we are an open door to reach out to people in the community who need exactly what we need, love and acceptance and friendship, fun, play, worship, and Jesus. That's why, as we open this building up more and more, we're going to do so in a way that it becomes a community center. looks more like that than a church in the minds of some. We'll be open for senior fitness, basketball, pickleball, and volleyball. We will have a fellowship gathered together in meetings in this church focused on recovery and renewal. We'll have classes of all kinds, yes, and worship that we'll continue to seek to offer a relevant word. But most of all, we will offer friendship in the name of Jesus, a place where people can gather together. Today I invite you to think about three actions that you could consider. One, if all you have time to do is this today, do this. Take a few minutes to thank God for those who became your peer friends in ministry, who brought you into the church, who introduced you to Jesus. Give thanks to God for them. Secondly, if you have a little more time, find some time during this week to thank those people personally. Write them a letter. Give them a phone call. Go have coffee with them or offer a prayer, they'll hear it. And then finally, and perhaps most heroically and importantly, take time to consider who you need to take out for a drink or for a walk, to share a moment with, to share friendship with, to reach out to, to start building a relationship, to offer what you have to offer of time and talent and gifts. In the name of Jesus. Don't be all holy about it, because... That puts everybody off. I'm serious. You know, please. Be with people as you are. Because Jesus is with you as you are. And that's holy. This is a chance today for us to share our lives with each other in the name of Jesus Christ. For all the good that that will make in the world. The truth is, I shouldn't have been a children's choir. But I always wanted to be in musical theater because I like drama, but I could never sing. Some of you know I wasn't a musical once. I was a mime. <laughs> True story. True story. I was really good, but I was a mime. And uh, I, I follow musical theater a lot, and I have to confess to you that I have never seen the play live and in person Wicked, which grinds me because I know it's music. I, I've played its music a lot. I sun it in the car 
when I'm by myself. <laughs> Laura won't let me, and neither would you. But in the play, there are these, these two characters who become, well, it seems like they're enemies, but they become friends. It's a story of these two characters. And, and uh, Stephen, uh, uh, Stephen uh, Swartz is the uh, uh, songwriter for Wicked. And uh, he wrote the play, and it was actually produced, and he took his young daughter to see it. And then he came back and he said to his young daughter, so, what would you say to your best friend if you were leaving them? And she said words that he turned into the first phrase of the song for good. What he wrote was this. I've heard it said that people come into our lives for a reason, bringing something we must learn. And we are led to those who help us grow the most if we let them and we help them in return. Seems like a pretty good church to me. <laughs> <laughs>